ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Uncomposed, a new podcast on the Friends in Your Head Network where we talk about film scores with people who do, wait for it, film scores. Anyway, on the show this week is myself, I'm assuming as always, Tig Christie, and I'm joined by Alex Smith. Hi. And Kyle Newmaster. Hey, hey. Composers and um, nice gentlemen with pizza and beer. Gentlemen, hello, how are you? <laughs> Pretty good. I'm so fantastic. yeah, my name is Tig, and I play music and don't actually compose for movies or anything like that. I mean, I have before, mm. but it's not my job. Uh, it's their job, but it's not my job. I'm just very interested in music and obviously very interested in movies and have the ability to make podcasts. So I wanted to bring all my friends that are composers in and ask them questions and talk to them about the process. And hopefully you guys find it as interesting as I do, because there's a whole other side to this filmmaking thing that we've been analyzing on this website for nigh five years now. And we've never even really addressed it. Who knows what's going to happen on the show writ large, but today we're going to talk sort of generally about, uh, first of all, who these guys are, but specifically about how a film score is created so that we can build on this foundation of knowledge that they will share with us and understanding the specifics of film score and, you know, unique issues and, and single topics as the show continues. So, guys, thank you for joining. You bet. And um, let's see here. Kyle, what's your... Give the people, like, a, you know, one-paragraph history of your composingness. Did you start writing music in, like, high school before that? Were you humming songs in womb? <laughs> um, I, you know, I always loved, you know, music in general, and I think it wasn't actually till like, late high school, early college that I realized I could get into composing. Before that, I was mostly a trumpet player and a piano player. And I just started trying to do it and realized I liked it. It was just a blast being in front of people playing something that you thought up and then hearing it way... Whenever anybody plays anything, it sounds better than what it looks like on paper. Right. I mean, it could be anything. And like you could write anything on paper, and if you have real people playing it, it sounds great. You know, went through school, ended up getting a master's degree, moved out here about 10 years ago. They've just been scoring independent films, video games, commercials, TV stuff. Uh, probably the majority of my bigger IMDb credits are in independent films. Uh, and uh, recently in uh, on a, uh, Microsoft Game Connect Star Wars films that hopefully are coming out this year, like Bloodshot. Uh, something wicked channeling hopefully yeah coming out this year of course well, i first heard your name on a lightsaber fight five or six years ago oh, of course yeah Ryan versus Dorkman too. <laughs> those guys man that was they, they did an amazing job it was back what 2006 seven six, something like that 2007 i think we scored it yeah 2006 they made the film and but it was uh, a sequel to a lightsaber fight on the internet yeah they, they made a bigger better one the second time and actually were able to raise money for it and provide not only an original score that you and gordy who will be on the show yep. later yep. wrote but then you went to Capitol records and actually had an orchestra perform it for the recording. Yeah. So it's an actual, actual, actual score for this internet fight video. I would say probably that project, Ryan vs. Starkman 2, I bet you if I talk to all the people that, hey, this is what I've done, more people know about that project than any other thing I've worked on, I'm pretty sure. You give it time, actually. but yeah, it's a, it's a cool video. It, uh, no, it was great. Great project. Tons of people saw it. They did great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and luckily, you know, we got, like you said, we get, did get to record with a live orchestra, and that's been kind of one of my main things that kept me inspired my whole life is recording with live musicians as, as often as possible, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so I've gotten a chance to record, you know, in London, uh, all over the place here, uh, Capitol Records, Warner Brothers, Sony. We got a badass over Fox here. Story. Well, it's just, it's just a matter of like when you have a project trying to allocate the goal of recording live musicians and then doing what you can. You can't always do it. But uh, when you can, it's just it, it makes it all worth it. And so that's kind of where I came from. I don't know. It's cool. And Long earlier earlier this year, I had a chance to hear your stuff played live, too, because they played the whole suite from RVD2. And then also your award winning oh, yeah. Star Wars Connect music. Is that what it was? Well, we I think we were nominated for a few awards. I don't think we actually won won the. Did we win the award? I don't you think have we, the Alex Smith Award because it's amazing. And I love it. <laughs> and well, <laughs> thanks, man. No, we I mean, that score, Gordy and I, Gordy Hobb and, and, and I co-scored uh, Connect Star Wars, which 
had you know mostly orchestral music and then also some dance music and we were involved in the orchestral music and we recorded it uh, with the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road oh um, and the, the score is you can find it on SoundCloud you know a lot of people have heard it but a lot of people haven't heard it um, it's great and stuff. so if you go to SoundCloud just put connect Star Wars or my name Kindly Master or Gordy Hop, you'll find it. And, yeah, and I'm here to tell you, it sounds awesome when an orchestra's playing it right in front of you. The cool concert you're talking about, the, and that's a great group. You can actually go hear them if you live in L.A. here. The Golden State Pops Orchestra, those guys do a ton of concerts devoted for film music and game music. Mm. And uh, we're honored to have them play a suite of music from that game. And also they did some Old Republic music of Gordy's, mm. and they actually did a suite of RVD2 music. That's so, so cool. Anyway, yeah, it was pretty sweet. Anyway. Kyle Newmaster yeah, I, for I, the ladies. I, I was freaking <laughs> out over the uh, Connect score for a good like two weeks straight. Oh, thanks, like, man. I, yeah? Seriously, like it has quickly become one of my like go-to scores to listen to. Like, oh, thanks, man. It's not even, yeah, yeah I, I love it and everyone should hear it because <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Hi, Alex Smith. Hmm. So what's what's your whole deal, sir? What's your um, your history of music? You started young, too. I, like, I, I did, first heard of Alex when I had just gotten out of high school, and he was, I think, still in preschool <laughs> uh, with long hair, doing like a Steve Vai solo at the high school talent show. Yeah, and I, and he I was like fully Steve Vaiing it on, yeah, on stage. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. And like two or three really devoted 14-year-old girls were throwing things at him from both. It was wonderful. <laughs> uh, and ever since then... I got a girlfriend that day. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you absolutely serious? <laughs> I'm 100% serious, yes. Oh, God. Nothing's changed since, really. Well, kind of. Oh, great. Anyway, so your whole thing um, with music. Yeah, I was actually, you know, listening to Kyle's story, I, I realized that disregarding his age and success as compared to mine and everything, but like starting out, I mean, is actually very parallel to mine. I mean, I, I started out early, piano player very early on, and uh, guitarist went to college, you know, as a player primarily, and then about halfway through, uh, discovered that hey, I can I can do this. I can write music, um, and it wasn't quite so seamless. Uh, long story short, for me, I I had an injury that forced me to stop playing my instruments for a good year and a half. You guitared your hand off. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I Steve Vai <laughs> too much. It. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I uh, I I got into composing that way. But you know, looking back, I've uh, it's kind of been fate. One of my earliest memories is figuring out the John Williams uh, Jurassic Park score. And then, like, you know, all through high school and everything, I was a huge, like, Danny Elfman nut. And it's, it's just so funny that I never put two and two together back then that, like, maybe I could do this same thing. Oh, this and is what a calling sounds like. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, there there you go. So um, halfway through Berkeley, I... I um, that is Berkeley College of Music. Yes. Not Berkeley in San Francisco yeah. or... Actually, I think it's in Berkeley. But it's a yeah, it's a music yeah, school, yeah. not Berkeley in, in Boston. Um, and I met a director, and uh, I did his Batman film, which was a great introduction for me because anyone who knows me knows that I'm a Batman freak. And so, um, like me. And then, <laughs> and so yeah, I mean, rest is history, I guess. And now Hollywood and working on things. Yeah, working on some fun stuff. So. Welcome to California, Alex. Yeah, thank you. Anyway. So yeah, this is the uh, pilot episode, and also I figured we should start somewhere near the beginning. It's a very good place to start. So let's walk Idiot Teague, hi, <laughs> the process of actually scoring a movie. I'm assuming the first thing that happens, at least until you're John Williams and you get to pick, is you're in a conversation with a director and having an idea-based conversation about sounds and all of that. Is that how this process tends to begin? There's a spectrum. I mean, ideally, yes. Many, and I would... Hesitate, but also probably wouldn't be wrong in saying that most gigs are probably more like you get hired and you want to spend a lot of time talking about the score, but you can't, and then you're rushed, and then you have to do it. In the ideal gigs, um, you're kind of figuring out the sonic palette and its relationship to the to the story. I guess you know you know what what direction, and more importantly, why are you going to go in that direction? 
basically it depends on every gig. Every gig's a little different. A lot of it depends on the time allotted. Right. I mean, you have everything from a week to three months or in some cases longer. In most cases, closer to a week. <laughs> yeah. Probably somewhere in between, like more like a month to score an entire feature film. So you have to quickly come to a decision what you want to do, but more importantly, what the director wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, if you've never worked with a director, it's really, it's like getting to know anybody you, uh, and, and also the producers, because there's lots of people involved who make the decisions on a film, uh, figuring out what they're looking for and how to communicate that between each other. Sometimes they come from more of a musical background and sometimes they do not. So you have to find a way to figure out what to get you to do quickly in most cases. I was going to say, what does that conversation sound like? I mean, is that a conversation that takes place referring to previous scores? Or Yeah, I mean, there's different scenarios. Like sometimes they come to you and say, I've heard some of your previous music. I mean, this is like the perfect situation. I've heard this. Yeah, I'm sure Danny Elfman's had this conversation before. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes that's not a conversation you want to hear because you might want to do something different. Right. You know what right. I mean? But basically, if they come to you and say, hey, I've heard that you've done this. I, I trust you. Go ahead and do what you want to do. And that's cool. But the problem with that, of course, is if then you do what you want to do. And that's not what they thought you were going to do. Yeah. So it's, sometimes it's better to actually have them say, I imagine this kind of a score. Here's an example. Um, or in a lot of cases, they put music to the film, actually put it to the film and show you the film with previous music, not necessarily yours. Uh, the temp could, track. Yeah, temp track. It could be Danny Elfman, it could be John Williams, it could be Hans Zimmer, it could be anybody, and have you try to emulate that with your own style. So the beginning conversation is just figuring out what you're going to do, and then, of course, also, depending on the budget of the film, what you're able to do, because if they want you to do something with live orchestra, gigantic choir and everything, you can do that. Uh, even on low budgets, but if they're expecting that exact same sonic result, mm. it's difficult to do with. So you have to like talk them down a little bit, or at least limit it. So well, with, with that, with the result of that, if you wanted a really great sounding or- orchestral recording on a limited budget, be to start removing instruments and players, and 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 have you, fewer players with the same recording setup, or if, the whole if, orchestra with a different recording. Well, setup? If, ahead, if in this case they're saying we want, they put in a bunch of let's say on the Star Wars for for the Tim track and they're like I want to sound just like that you're gonna have to say uh (laughs) okay you guys um, no and it's simply just because you know you aren't gonna be able to afford those musicians probably and so in in that particular case I would say you know we have to resort to really good samples uh sample libraries and and then or get away with samples where you can and have real players for the stuff that you can't do in samples well I would a general rule of thumb of course there, there aren't any Real rules of thumb. <laughs> Rule of thumb. It's like attorney's general. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're always going to want to try and have live players on the score. That's that's a good goal to generally shoot for. And um, in that particular case, I would say let's let's do like the big orchestra samples and then layer like a string quartet or yeah. something on top of that. So you get that non-completely robotic playing. And then maybe in like a really, you know, small part of the score, maybe it's something really intimate and maybe just the string quartet sounds nice. You don't want a full orchestra there. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of um use some smoke and mirrors to trick the audience into to getting that same feeling as or something close to the feeling that one might get from, you know, the London Symphony Orchestra. Well, and I think you know, I think as far as talking about the very beginning too, because this is now we're kind of jumping past yeah, a few steps true. and talking more about after the composing and the actual recording. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, in the very back. beginning, it's really this conversation that we're having right now, even just amongst ourselves, we kind of mm-hmm. get carried away, like I yeah, talking about all the possibilities because they're endless, right? Yeah. And so when talking to a director and a producer in the beginning, it's really all about, you know, this is what we're able to do for this project, and and of course, I mean, you can bring great emotion to MIDI 
absolutely. things as well. Oh, it's just, absolutely. It, it's not necessarily quicker, though. It yeah. actually might take much it'll, longer it'll than, take than recording. It'll take a while. Um, I, uh, I would say on my last score that I did, um, I spent more time finessing the MIDI performance than I did writing. Yeah. And that's just to something. eke the, the performance out of the samples. Yeah, you're 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 programming these samples to you're, sound you're, like you're, live you're basically plays. hacking a performance out of what is perfect, perfect, perfect recordings of well, samples. What really So um, the transitions through notes sound better and everything else like that? Yeah. And you know, well like Kyle was saying, you know, this is something that we, we might want to get to later in more detail. But really, yeah, these are these are pre recorded recordings of of players in a studio live players and then there's there's different ways that you can make them sound quieter louder and then you can make you know uh, vibrato different you know all, all these just, different things all, all the little nuances of live players you can technically out of a great library you can coax them out of but it does take a long time like if i were to sit and spend probably a week straight trying to recreate like one cue really like a complicated you could take a simple cue and probably if it's just a bunch of whole notes and stuff Mm. You could probably recreate that fairly quickly to make it 85% passable. And yeah. most people could not tell the difference. Right. And even we might not be able to difference if we didn't really know for sure. You right, know what I mean? right. Um, depending on the situation. But if you're, if you're trying to write something, if you want to write something specific, very emotional or complicated or whatever that has, that's maybe a little more involved, it just can take quite a bit of time. I think I would, like if you took like a, you mentioned the 10 minute suite. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to write something that was a full 10 minute Let's say since he said John Williams earlier, ten William, ten minute John Williams suite. Yeah, let's say it's a little something. Star Wars movie, little right. ten minute, ten minute Star it, Wars. That could potentially take you a month of sitting down straight. Even some of the best sample people to to get it to about eighty five percent. So to make it, yeah, yeah. So it's really about in the beginning. It's about you know back to the thing about what you do in the very beginning. It's it's about explaining what's possible on the budget with the amount of time they have and things like that. And uh, um, so. Should I bring it back to that? I was going to say that. Well, it's just interesting because I would have assumed that at this point it's ultimately cheaper just to go MIDI all the way. But it sounds like what you it guys is. are saying is, uh, well, on the assumption of the same level of quality, it sure. is cheaper okay. to achieve that with just MIDI. It just but takes more time. Yeah, but it takes more time. And it sounds like a viable option within a certain range of budgets would be to don't tweak the ever-living crap out of the MIDI's get the stuff written and kind of orchestrated so that I can hear it, and we're going to take that to the orchestra and let them do well, it in a day or two. Well, if they have a budget two. to hire an orchestra, that's yeah. what I generally do. Thing is, so is that, as opposed to spending a month tweaking yes. every individual performance in the whole piece. The thing is, the difference between <laughs> um, tweaking the ever-living crap out of the MIDI and not is huge. And so... It's the difference if, between Nintendo and a score? Yeah, yeah. If they um, if they say, uh, yeah, don't don't spend too much time making the MIDI sound real, we'll, we'll layer some players on top of it. What it's going to sound like is... A couple live players. Well, yeah, you're, on you're top talking of about you're crap. talking about adding on top. Though. I'm talking about right. replacing. Right. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah if you're yeah. if you're adding on top of the MIDI with like if you're going to do MIDI strings with the flute solo and or a couple of other violins on top or something, then you got to make the MIDI sound. Oh yeah, I mean using sure. MIDI almost as like the same way. I imagine a lot of how John Williams would explain a score to Spielberg or Lucas was he'd sit down at the piano, and do a little piano sketch in front of him. <sighs> The yeah. the MIDI equivalent of that, where it's like it's going to be this sort of thing. Get the orchestration done in MIDI because that's faster than anything else. But don't spend all your time afterwards trying to make that the performance. Just do that so I can kind of hear where you're going with it, and we'll take those sheets in to record it. That's an interesting point. Um, that would be nice if that were the case. But actually... Directors um, don't hear through the MIDI? Yeah, they, they, most times they don't. Um, and, you know, you can't blame them for it. If, if, like, if I were saying, Teague, um, make this VFX shot for me, and you go, this is what it's... 
it's going to be better than this. I'm going to be like, well, I, I can't know what it's going to look like because, well, that's where I, go- you know, and of course I would have to imagine. And of course, because I go through the same process, I could, I could work with that. But, right. but um, a director, if, if you give them great writing, like objectively great writing where like composers would all come around. They'd be like, man, you're an amazing composer. And, <laughs> and the MIDI performance is just awful. It sounds a little final countdown. If, if you just kind of like, you know, just pooped it out one night and, and then the director's coming over and he's checking it out. Director probably wouldn't like the cue. And the thing is he probably wouldn't know why. And it would usually be because of that. And one thing that I've noticed is actually many times people respond to the production quality of my music as opposed to the writing quality. They might say like, God, that sounds real. Yeah, exactly. That, that is generally the first comment that I get. Is it, is it real or is it usually MIDI? No, I I have not had the opportunity to record live players on any projects yet. Oh shit. On any scores. Yeah. Some of your stuff sounds really real. Yeah. Well, the stuff that I've heard, I don't, I don't mean like of the stuff I've heard two or three of them sounded real. I just, the stuff that I've heard all sounded legit. Yeah. Well done. Well, thanks. <laughs> but, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes it takes a lot of time and a lot of, you know, tearing your hair out to, to make it like that. And it's a great skill for someone in my position to learn because, like I was just saying, you, you have to be able to do that to even just present cues to directors because, they again, they, they might not know what exactly they don't like about it. If if the MIDI performance isn't real, they might just be like, "Oh, there's something off here." And if you had spent the extra hour, you know, so, tweaking it, and that actually goes back to something prior to the step where I yeah, I was going to say we need to get back to the part well, where no, no, we no, compose but, but, a score. No, no, but, no, but that actually is a point that goes prior to that getting the gig. We're going to jump back to actually what happens, mm. this, but getting the gig, it's all about having something that sounds the most compelling, right? And uh, sure. if if oh, here goes a. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. <laughs> Run for it, Marty! <laughs> uh, but yeah, it comes back to, you know, when you get, when you're going for a gig, if you're, if they're like, hey, I'm going to have five composers compose, a lot of times this happens, mm. you know, here's a scene, or I just need you to write something that's three minutes long or score this five minute scene, and we're going to have five of you do it. You know, if it's you might shootout, write the basically. most complicated music or, or the most, you know, the most emotional to picture, but if you're, if your demo doesn't sound the most convincing production wise, they might pick the demo that just sounds like, oh, that actually sounds like something I might hear at a movie, you know. And and so what I'm getting at is that uh, the production quality of what you can do with your setup, with just your, in terms of demonstration, you know, with your samples and your and your 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 chops, with you know EQs and reverbs and mm-hmm. just what you've got, that's actually as important in, in the, as composing to get the gig. Right. And Jeez. yeah, production quality and writing are now completely intertwined and. Two points that you could make about this. Um, one is that it, a lot of people will, will kind of like blame the technology. They might just be like, "Oh, oh man, now we have to spend all this time doing this," or you know, "I wish I didn't have to." And the thing is, is that um, it's really not MIDI's fault. Uh, it is, you know, if if you had the opportunity to uh, have access to an orchestra at all times, hypothetically. <laughs> which would be great. Um, and and you're trying to get this hypothetical gig that Kyle proposed. Um, the the equivalent would be if you... Uh, the equivalent to the bad MIDI would be if you were in a crappy sounding room and you told your players to play with as little emotion as possible. Then that's, that's kind of what we'd be getting in. So 
again, it's it's not necessarily like you're just doing your directing you know, behind the flame. behind the desk as opposed yeah, to you, from the. It's basically podium. yeah yeah with MIDI conducting is really really long. It takes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's slow motion conducting. Um, yeah, and I was going to make another point that I completely forgot what it you was. You were saying writing and uh, production or intertwined. Oh right right and um. Another thing to consider, and this this is also kind of like stepping ahead a little bit, but it's on my mind. Um, I'll bring us back uh, to writing uh, here in a yeah, second. A, an interesting point that this affects writing in a very unconscious way, and I think it is detrimental. And this is something where I think maybe possibly you could kind of blame uh, technology for possibly hurting the music. Um, samples are limited. You know, I mean, we, we know this. It. it you can only do a finite amount of things with a solo violin sample. There's only so many things that it was programmed to do. And with a live player, you could go so far as to say, hey, go crash your instrument against the wall. I mean, you, you can do anything. There's There are no limits with a live it's player. It's a person who knows how to play an instrument in right, front of a microphone. Right, right. And so what those samples are able to do, or more importantly not do, can affect your music without you really knowing. Um, I was reading this great article a little, a little while ago that was saying... Um, <clears throat> maybe one of the reasons why so many scores nowadays are so focused on the low strings is because low strings sound good. generally sound better than high <laughs> strings in, in, in Interesting. most samples. That's actually my main Sample pet peeve with <clears throat> the majority of film music nowadays. Not not the best scores and stuff like that, but the majority of it is pretty stale. Yeah, uh, I would say 50% at least, and that's probably being generous. It's pretty mm -hmm. stale. I don't want to drop and, names, but I know I have a name in my head, and I think I'm everyone not, else does too. I'm not going to throw any names out there, but I'm yeah. just going to say, like, um, and I think it kind of goes to that point of if you're going to write orchestral music, I think you have to understand the orchestra. And I think, I'll, precisely. And I think you have to have written for actual orchestra to mock up. So even if you are going to go to, like, working just with MIDI, I think you have to have at least invested a significant amount of time. And listening to live orchestras, not yeah. just film scores, like going to classical see music, live, going to see them live, studying scores. talking to them, not necessarily going to school. Well, that's a yeah. good way to do yeah. it. Because being but, absent of all those conventions is more detrimental than understanding well, why the conventions if, if are you're, If you're going to sit at a, a computer and try to emulate, I mean, I guess this is different for music than a lot of other things when you're sitting at a computer and coming up with stuff that you're coming yeah. out of your head. But, a, a facsimile. But, you know, because with effects, you're coming up with things that probably don't happen in a lot right. of cases, and, yeah. or sometimes, <laughs> you know what I mean? But but with, with music, you're trying to recreate something that actually happens. And so right. in order to do that, I think you have to actually know how it sounds when it actually does happen. Right. You know, so... Yeah. You have to know the limitations of the instruments as well. And let me... Just to prove a point, um, the one time that I've been able to record an orchestra with my own music, which, by the way, was amazing... Um, that is some of the best writing orchestration I personally think that I've ever done, and I wrote it without using samples. I I used pencil and paper. Just in your head? Well, yeah. I mean, a piano and pencil and paper. It's because I was, instead of, you know, kind of, I don't want to say shortcut, but it kind of is, um, I wasn't relying on these, on these, on the deception of these great sounds coming out of my speakers. Instead, I was having to think, what can these instruments do? Um, where would this melody best be placed? You know, all these things. Well, the, I, this this whole... Orchestration's a giant, giant thing that we really shouldn't get into, but the, the whole point is that my best music was done without samples. And, of course, it took way longer, though. I mean, it was... That was a piece that took an entire semester to write. But that was so. also because it's one of the first was, times you actually did that. I think if you were able, you know, hopefully in the future you'll be able to do that. Yeah. Where that's a regular thing. Right. 
uh, it, it, you know, it'll, it'll, you'll learn right. a lot from that first right. time right. of right. doing that. But uh, what, you, what you probably found is like you didn't have to worry. Once it was done, the music was there. It was in, it was realized on paper. Right. And you sat right. in front of them. It was all about just making sure you had the right people in front of you. Right. And getting to perform. Then you are kind of like a director because it's like really just telling them, like kind of pushing them or trying to inspire them to move in a diff- certain direction mm-hmm. emotionally and musically. And, um, well, more, and, and then it's more, not so, more urgency in the strings and not so much, right. not so much about sitting there going, ah, that sample is just like, it, it just, it, it just doesn't have, you know, the right, the, it, do, it, doesn't it doesn't have, doesn't you know, it doesn't have this or that or, or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to go and find 25 different samples and combine them to be able to get what <laughs> one person can do in 20 seconds yep. live. So it's, but it's about money, you know, can yep. you get those people? And also, um, there is a sound that is MIDI which is preferable in some situations. You know, yeah. it does add, I found myself taking live recordings where it was played great, but not recorded the way I wanted necessarily mm-hmm. and added MIDI because it just didn't have the uh, a, presence there that yeah. I'm used to, or the directors are used to that MIDI brings, which is very, a lot of times upfront mm-hmm. and punchy, um, which live sometimes is not, you know, right. Right. So, but, uh, Anyway, we can right. we can keep talking about that. So but let's go can, back. I'm you know, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to kick us off back on the the writing direction thing here. All right. So let's say you're dealing with a director. He's got I don't know five grand. He wants a four minute piece of music, and he's temp tracked it with the um, Tatooine Two Sons thing. There's actually one good MIDI sample for that kind of thing. Is it a is it a French horn? <laughs> yeah, it's a French horn viola sample with symphobia. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, you know that good. one? Oh yeah. So a director is like, it's okay, I've got five good. grand, and you got two weeks, and it's a, it's just a four minute piece, but I, that's what he's tempted with, and he's got kind of a case of template. He doesn't want you to emulate it. He's not saying recreate it, but you know, it's this process. You have to write it. Like, okay, got it. You know what he wants? He wants the temp track. What do you do first? <laughs> well, what's going on on screen? Let's say it's, for the purposes of demonstration, this isn't what he asked for, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's say it's the scene in Star Wars, where he's okay. coming out in those emotions, and it's that, it's that scene, it's those beats. Well, <laughs> um, Say George Lucas came to you with that scene, and it was temp-tracked with the actual score to it. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like, what's the, you put pen to paper at some point, what's the first um, thing you start writing down? Or do you sit at a piano and start fiddling out with a melody? I think it's probably different for both of us. So, Man. and, and well, also, you know, it depends on the project too, and it depends on the exact. I mean, yeah, the the, the question. This is the, most, this is the most annoying sirony episode yeah, of anything we've ever recorded. Oh, anyway, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Alex. Well, I mean, the the problem with how you know questions regarding writing is that I have a very hard time answering those because there's still no actual process for me. It is every single time. It feels like, oh God, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I forgot how to write. Yeah, <laughs> and, every, every composer will tell you yeah, that. Yeah, you forget and, how to write after everything yeah, you write. Yeah, and so. yeah, Danny Elfman is well known for saying that. Um, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I I don't really know how to answer that. <laughs> Jesus, fire truck now. <laughs> okay, something big going on. So anyway, here. Kyle, yeah. what about you? How would you? I mean, how would you approach that scenario? Well, Let's wait till that one. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you about this. A, a more isolated question first. Guys, OJ's you know, back. When someone tells... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, God. No, I was going to say, before we even get into the esoteric things about that, should we just do a rundown of, like, the actual, like, this, 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 and this happen in a film, you think? Uh, or or I'll finish this, and then we'll do that or something. Or not. Uh, we don't let's do that in a second. Care. We'll do that in a second. For right now, back on the thingy with the Twin Sons theme here. Yeah. Let me ask you this. <laughs> when someone plays you the temp track, what do you hear? 
What um, do you, I mean, I assume you have a conversation with them to figure out what it is you question. love about this. But yeah. yes. in that case, and, that, and you know, it's, remember, it's temp tracked with the, the lone sort of French horn that gets the, the mm-hmm. swell of strings under it. Are you hearing French horn? Are you hearing sad? Are you hearing orchestra? Pro- probably. Yeah. Pro- I mean, all of it. I mean, basically, when you're hearing, if you're talking about temp track, when you hear a temp track, again, you're going back to what the director is looking for, try to decide what is a director looking for. So if I was looking at that scene in Star Wars and hearing that, I would have to analyze, okay, does he like the actual piece itself, you know, and how it interacts to what, you like know, in that case, Luke is, in what Luke is doing and the fact that it starts out small, you know, with just, you know, solo like a, French a, a lone voice, you know, or, or is it that like, does, does he or she, the director like the, the sparseness of the orcs are there or do they like, uh, you know, the fact that it's orchestral or they like that it's, you know, a specific key, they like it's a specific instrument. Is there a lot of things you have to figure out because it might be, you think that they think that it's that specific orchestral sound but might actually just be no they just love french horns yeah they just really played french horn in high school or or you know that that it the fact that the note jumps up you know a lot of john williams music it leaps up a lot it might Mm -hmm. be that or uh it could be a lot of different things so it's really figuring out in the very beginning what it is that they like about that temp track yeah i i would add that um generally one should try and stray away from specific you know if you're if you're asking the director what do you like about this one should generally stray away from specific musical questions and instead say you know what should the audience be feeling um you know like what should the music be adding here you know like it it, if you get too musical it can get very bogged down um so if i was given that scene jesus <laughs> I mean, I, by the way, John ex- Williams will be listening to this yeah, podcast. Yeah, I wonder what it was tempt with. I mean, if it was, because I think a lot of that score was he did a lot of that movie. He, he tempt with a lot of most. I think it was all almost all the planets. So I wonder what was tempt there. Uh, is it is it which one begins with that? It sounds very similar. Maybe Venus. Um, one of them yes, begins with that no, same no, sort of Venus, thing. Venus. The the first phrase. There's a French horn and Venus. That the first half of the phrase. And it's a similar Venus interval too. I think it's a fourth. No, it's it's the same. It's dun dun dun. Duh, and then it goes somewhere else. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and probably was and, that. By <laughs> the way, if you like John Williams and somehow haven't heard the Planet Suite by Gustav Holst, Holst Gustav Holst, Gustav Holst, yeah. just go to YouTube and type in the Planet Suite. Press play. And, I swear to God, you will enjoy the next fifty minutes. And uh, listen to the one conducted by Leonard Bernstein. This a uh, general just saying rule of thumb for classical music. If you find something conducted by Leonard Bernstein, it's gonna be good. No, we're all we're all bros with Holst. <laughs> Holst was gonna be here today, but he died. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um. <laughs> okay, so you've narrowed it down, and you know, so okay, this this guy with the beard and the glasses, he likes himself this sort of French horny sound. I mean, it, mm-hmm. I don't want to get too obvious well, about it or just categorize everything together, but do you just start with like, I need a melody to I, hang I everything else on? I, you know, this question is so tough to answer. I think it goes back to the very be- beginning of like when you started in music, what got you excited, mm-hmm. what you hear with anything you play. Uh-huh. I know Alex, you, you you started on guitar, right? I started uh, piano. on piano. Piano, so yeah. did I. Yeah. yeah. And then I went to trumpet. And so for me, a lot of it is I used to sit down as a kid and just come up with random stuff on the piano just mm-hmm. for fun long before I thought I would get into composing. Mm-hmm. And on trumpet, too, same thing. I would just sit with an emotion. It, like I'd be sad and I'd go, I'd be pissed off at somebody or whatever. I'd just go. And I had a teacher tell me once, go play that on your instrument. And so I, that was one of those valuable Wow, what a things. great prompt. It was, it was one of the best things I've ever been taught, actually. It's just when I felt pissed off or, like, happy or sad or, like, you know, in love or whatever, like, sit down and play it on the Make instrument. the instrument and, feel like you yeah, do. Yeah, and so I think when I compose, whatever the emotion is I'm going for, I take all of those things along with all the excitement experimentation of when I 
first started, you know, and try to bring that. It's just some weird thing. You just have to re-inspire yourself every time. Yeah. And so for me, a lot of times I just go like, honestly, I just go like lay down mm-hmm. <laughs> and almost go to sleep, but not quite. Or I go drive around. I think of a lot of stuff driving. Yeah. Which maybe isn't the safest thing in the world, but I'm but. gonna guess that John Williams wrote the trench run while driving in LA. Yeah. I mean, iPhones yeah. are great now for that, you, you know, or anything. Yeah. You, you just go get, you know, iTalk or anything, and think of an idea. You pull over, yep. sing it into yep. it. You know, if Danny Elfman had an iPhone, that's exactly how Batman would have been written. Yeah. Except he <laughs> did it in a he did it in the bathroom, in, of, a in the bathroom of a plane, if yep. I recall correctly. Like writing he down, he wrote down like the the phrase on like a napkin in the bathroom of the airplane. Oh yeah. Yep. Like if you had an iPhone, he would have done exactly what you're talking and about. You, and you, with the second you're inspired, you have to write it down. Like you have I'm sure to. you have this sometimes too. Like you'll be thinking of random stuff over and over, and kind of going through, kind of like we were with the titles for the show. We were trying to think of ideas. You got to write it down because you might think of the great one that's going to be the one. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. not going to forget that. I promise I won't forget that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then three seconds later, oh shit! Oh shit! Yeah, but was it? It was so good. Stuff like I mean, I'm sure you've right, had exactly. this where you think of an entire piece and then you go to sleep. And then yeah. you can't remember it the next day. So like, I'm gotta, trying so hard thinking about just the ones that got away. I just yeah. know that they were good. You just got, you <laughs> yeah. just got it. The second you're inspired, you got to write it down, sing it, and do a recording, something. Um, and so same thing when you're writing. I think, you know, it depends. Also, back to that, like, is there a time limit or is it open ended? Because if it's open ended, sometimes that can take a lot longer because you're going to wait for the perfect idea to come across, right? Yeah, two but weeks. You just got to start going and start writing. But if it's like a time limit and you have to have like a two-minute piece written in the next three hours, you just got to throw all... Rough. Um, like kind of like the Connect score, we had six weeks to write 120 minutes, you know? That, was, it's, that was done in six weeks? The writing. Oh, yeah. Jesus so, Christ. So that's what I'm saying. Like, but, <laughs> but basically you wake up every... In that case, we woke up every day... And I didn't want to wake up and write something after 20-hour writing day that night before, you know, and have to write another two-minute piece that was an action two-minute oh piece, right? Goodness. But you wake up and you have to, or you will not right. finish and get paid, you know? So so it, the question is, are you going to wait for inspiration or are you going to force inspiration? Mm-hmm. And so I think the forced inspiration, you just kind of go back to your bag of tricks mm-hmm. and you hope that something hits you at the last second that's totally new and exciting. But if not, you go to what you know you can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes when you're in the middle of knowing, doing what you know you can do, you get inspired. So you just got to go. But when you have endless time and you can just be inspired, personally, I just, you know, or in the beginning, I, for me, in the beginning of a project, before it gets crazy with schedules and I'm stressed out and stuff about finishing, that's when I go drive around, mm-hmm. lay down, think yep. about stuff, record things. A lot of times I record everything. Or if I go back and finish a project and I look at my initial notes of what I wrote down or what I recorded in my phone, 80% of what I wrote on that score is from my initial ideas because yeah. that's wow. when I was relaxed and inspired yep. and things like that. That's cool. So I don't know. Is that, is that how you do yeah, it? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, there's some similarities. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you said the initial notes and stuff, uh, I, I was actually just recently looking back at the initial notes from a score that I did and none of that made it into the score. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it was all the, it was, you know, fairly fleshed out ideas and we threw away all of them. It was the right choice, but hmm. Um, I, I'd completely forgotten about them and I was so glad that I did, but that's, that's one of those things that happens is that, you know, you might be doing something and, you know, you've gone a little ways into it and you and the director each realize like, this is not, Oh yeah, this is not it. This isn't right. We don't even have time to go into this question very long. This could be a, this could be an hour long episode question here, but I think a lot of people, myself included me less, I get it more now than I used to, but a lot of people would be curious 
the difference between writing a song on your guitar and writing a song with 80 people to play it for you, it's, they would ask you, what's the order of operations from going from, okay, I know what that dude with the little string instrument is playing. I know what all 80 of them are playing and how they interact with each other. How do you go from one to the full orchestration and counterpoint and everything? You don't write it for 80 people. You write it for sections. Yeah, it's mm. absolutely. Even, even a full orchestra with 80 people, there might be four or five things going on. Right. You know, and, and, and subtle, subtleties, yeah. you know, textural texture wise and like uh it's all about subtleties you know yeah. but but there's probably a melody uh a counterpoint a couple you know the, the harmonic ideas Four going on background rhythm, middle ground you know yeah. really and yeah. if you get re- like i remember when i was first checking out uh a variety a ton of classical stuff and i remember hearing schoenberg all i had heard about schoenberg when i was <laughs> uh, first starting out was all this you know 12 tone stuff and all that but yeah. I, w- I can't remember specific names of pieces right now but when i went back and checked out the stuff before he went 12 tone mm-hmm. i remember thinking that stuff that he was writing, the fully romantic orchestral stuff, mm-hmm. it was really incredibly crafted, but there was so much going on. Mm-hmm. It was obvious that he just got bored. Yeah. Because he, he, like, he could do so much, but there was so much going on. And I feel that way sometimes writing orchestral music. It's like you have to limit yourself because if you're trying to do, like, oh, I'm going to add one more level of something and this other thing, and it's like if the listener has too many things to listen to, you they, know? they can't grasp on anything. So if... You know, even though you have 80 people playing it, um, there might only be two, three, four things going on. And so it's not actually that much more complicated than if you sat down with your guitar and played a melody and played a harmony part and a rhythm part. It's not really, if you did that and orchestrated it out for orchestra, it's just that there's a lot of people playing those three parts. Right, right. And, you know, I have two funny little things about that point. Um, When I was at Berkeley, I was definitely there was a point when I was I was guilty of throwing in way too much into each piece and it just it hit me so hard but there's this fantastic teacher who he's he's going to be one of those guys that I will never forget and um at one point he just looked at me he's like you're going to write again this isn't the only thing you're ever going to write mm-hmm. like you you don't have to throw in everything into yeah. just one thing and that that was big for me and then um the other thing is um I think of this quote almost every day, I think. And uh, it's a John Mayer quote, but I don't remember the exact words. But uh, the idea is that when you're writing, uh, it's kind of like when you're in kindergarten or whatever, you put glue on a paper plate and then you like sprinkle sprinkles and <laughs> stuff onto it and then you shake off the stuff that doesn't stick. Yeah. He's like, that is the most important step in writing. Yeah. You know, it, you yeah. can be creative. You can throw all you want at it, but eventually you have to shake it off and some things just aren't going to stick. Definitely. And when Yeah, when you're writing. It's huge. When you're when you're writing music and you, uh, good thing is nowadays we, a little bit back to technology we have programs even before we do our MIDI mockups. Like if you're writing even just for a live group as a, and you have finale even let's say and you're writing it finale or Sibelius. Which for the people that don't know those are notation programs. No, yeah, it's, we haven't even explained MIDI. We'll get yeah, that in yeah. a second. But, but basically, if you uh, <laughs> if you're writing into a program, you can hear it back and right. uh, it's going to sound a lot better with live musicians. But you can tell if there's too much going on. Right. Absolutely. Know? But ultimately, if you can't hear it in your head. In my opinion, yep. Um, if you can't imagine it, um, if you can't think of it, even if maybe you can't imagine it up front, but after you've started writing it, if you can't look at it and hear it in your head, it's probably too complicated. For me, if I'm not humming huh. it all the time, it's not good enough. And I'm not uh, saying you need to be able to look at a <laughs> note on paper and go like, sing that note. Oh yeah. But I'm talking sure. about just like kind of imagine the general. So if you can, like, if I can't play a piece, if I can't really play a piece back over and over in my mm-hmm. head. I don't, I can't, I don't think it's good. Yeah. For yeah. me. 
for me, um, the for that same theme where we had thrown away a bunch of stuff, that same movie where we, we came back and started from scratch, um, the theme that I came up with, I could not stop humming it. And that was when I knew. I was like, this is right. This is this is the yeah. right one for this. Now, um, the, the other hand, though, we're talking like basic ideas. You're going to discover right. things when it's played, right. especially if it's played live. That's the difference between playing live and MIDI is because you hear it instantly with MIDI and you craft it until it sounds the way you want it to right. be. Playing live, there's uh, you you try things sometimes with specific, you know, like you take a violin player. They can, you know, especially with multiple violin players, there's this subtleties in the sound that they can do with all the different types of bowings and the harmonics and the and the different types of things they can do. It, it's just so crazy how many different things they can do. And that goes for every instrument. So yeah. you're going to learn things and that's what a good orchestrator will do you know, help you figure out those things to bring that out of your composition. So I'm not saying you need to be able to hear all of that, although mm-hmm. the better you get, the more yeah. you hear. Sure. But I think in general, compositionally, like the, uh, the basic idea, the basic yeah. melody rhythm, at least melody and rhythm and maybe sort of harmony. If you can't imagine it, it's probably yeah. too complicated. For me, the, the experience for me a lot of the time is that I might hear something in my head and it will never, ever, ever, ever be as good as it was in my head you know there's there's this there's this point in writing i know that uh writers of the english language have this exact same thing where you have this idea going on in your head you're like oh man this is great and the moment that you introduce it to the real world even if you're doing a really great reproduction of what was in your head if you're you know i'm hearing the violins doing this and all of that you can get to a point where it's just it, it it's just not as good. Have but, you ever run into that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you're always striving, you know, for something right. greater to, re- to reach you know? what you're. Yeah. Um, one point I think that I made, maybe it was you talking about, maybe not, uh, that I wanted to elaborate on was just the more you listen to anything, the more like the more tools you're gonna have. So. You know, back when you wanted to be a Steve Vai guitar player, <laughs> way back in the day, maybe you still do. You know, wanted to be, uh, sir. Uh, well, no. you probably was, you yeah. already are. <laughs> right? no. so, it but, happened oh, on God. stage. It, it was but gross. You didn't get that by listening to a bunch of ragtime piano, right? Yeah, you listen right. to a bunch of guitar like that. Right, so, right. I think if you're going to oh want to write orchestral music, you got to go out there and listen to a bunch of or- a bunch, bunch, like a lot, yeah, of orchestral music. You, you have to be over. kind of disgustingly obsessed with. Yeah, and um, not just like I wanna, music. not just like that might be cool if I also did a little bit of that. I mean, like you gotta. It has to move you very deeply. Yeah, so it, it has to be something that you truly, really. You have to care see more about. possibilities in orchestral than you see in other types of music. Yeah, yeah. It, it has to be the type of music that you go to. You find the most expressive. Yes. If you don't yeah. like it, what's the point in writing <laughs> it, it, it? You know it, what I mean? Like, wh- I don't. It, it, that's a funny point to make, but it's so true. I, there's there's definitely a lot of students during my time at Berkeley where, um. Yeah, there's 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 a fair lot of Fairweather orchestral fans. Yeah. The, or or there's a lot of uh Fairweather composers that I that I met early on and and um and I'm sure that there's okay, a seriously, lot. Okay, seriously, did one of you kill someone? <laughs> Guys. Are they going to hear I don't this know on the playback? On. Yeah, I think they are. <laughs> <laughs> like like I said, said, OJ's back, man. You're talking yeah, uh, students. Um so well, I'm I'm sure almost in every career there's the exact same thing, but I, there were a lot of uh uh composers that I met or composers and they um well, we'd, we'd start talking composers and they wouldn't like any. But here's the thing. They might really love music, but maybe they need to write the music they love. Sure. And not just write, you know, what they think they're supposed to write. Sure. You know what That's I mean? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of film scoring going on, and I'm not going to go specifically right now because we don't have a ton of time. But uh, there's a lot of film scoring I love, but there's a lot that I don't love. 
And if, if film scoring moves to a place that I don't like, I don't know if I'll want to write film scores like that. So if, yeah. if you if you don't like something, why get involved doing it? You have to be inspired in the first sure. place. So that's what I'm getting at with orchestral music, I think, in order to understand like how to get the most out of a live orchestra or live musicians, you have to have really invested like years, mm-hmm. years, not necessarily years in school, but that helps of course, but years, years of attention, years, years with your nose in a scorebook. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can yeah. easily sit down with this. If you sat down with a score and recordings, whether it be film scores or, or, you know, uh, classical pieces or, you know, going to orchestra hall or whatever, and just studied and said, instead of just hearing something and saying, Oh, that's cool. Like going to figure out why it's cool. You know, uh, I had a teacher who used to say, uh, don't be wow oriented. In other yeah. words, like, don't just be like, wow. Like, if and you say wow, that. go figure out why yeah. you said wow, yep. you know. And so you have to, like, invest a lot of time into that. And if you do that with orchestral music, you're probably going to have more tools when you sit down with nothing in your head to write. And you have to imagine the orchestra. You're going to have more to draw upon than if you've only heard two film scores that you thought were cool. You know <laughs> right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's what I'm getting at. It's like when you sit down and you write music, you have to have a lot to draw upon. Like I might not be able to sit down. Like fluently imagine an orchestra in your head. Yeah. Like, I don't know, pick a random style that I probably don't know very much about. Bebop. I actually know a lot about Bebop. Yeah. He's a trumpet player. Come on. Um, <laughs> dubstep. I know fair amount because of film scoring, but I don't consider myself a DJ or anything like that. That would be so. Yeah, if I sat down, and you said, "Kyle, you are the guy." We heard you're the dubstep guy. <laughs> you know, we've all heard uh, that. You know, <laughs> and you said well, you're the guy. You're apparently the expert. At I least mean, you look I, like the dubstep I've got guy. like that, Kyle X. I've got that. <laughs> I've got that track I heard on a couple commercials. The two that I knocked off for a couple of trailer cues and some others, and the stuff I've heard on the radio. But I haven't invested in all the independent film. I mean, yeah. not film, independent artists and things like that and i don't know like you know underground people doing it so that's what i'm saying with with anything you're doing you have to be passionate about it mm-hmm. but if i get hired for a dubstep score don't make fun of me i, I guess i guess now's a good <laughs> I point dubstep. now is a good point to point out that orchestral music and film music are not synonymous no yeah, absolutely yeah, not that's not. What, yeah. yeah like I, yeah. I, sorry like take I, that's why i think if, if you're real about what you're writing i love it mm-hmm. like that's right. what i like about yeah uh, uh, I'm gonna mess up with John Bryant. His, Brian, his his scores that are kind of orchestral, kind of quirky, kind of weird. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, shit, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. What was the one with Adam Sandler? What was really dark? Uh, Punch um, Drunk Love. Punch Drunk yes. Love. Some of those. Eternal kind of Sunshine scores, had a great score. Yeah, I think he did that one. Uh, but he does like really quirky, weird. They have orchestra, but they're inspired by right. his. his it's, it's spacier. It's a little bit. It's and not orchestra, also... and I'm okay if you don't write traditional orchestral music if you're sure. inspired and it's obviously like something right. you'd love. Yeah. Okay. So wait, let's get back to the thing here. We got to bring this in for a landing. So Sorry, man. you've okay. just written some real. <laughs> you've just written some real good shit. Is this the point wherein you bring in an orchestrator to help you get it ready for recording? Or do you skip is, that step? And do, I mean, an orchestrator is an interesting job, and they play an interesting role, and it, it changes from project to project. Um, but I it's mean, it's the producer it, of it, music. It, it could be, um, yeah, they can play. They can wear a lot of hats, and what might happen is, you know, um, in uh, you know, let's say Danny Elfman's very earliest parts of his career. He wasn't really an orchestrator. He he didn't know really how to orchestrate his music. Um, not to say that he wasn't a brilliant writer, but actually, you know, saying where to put. Let me ask you this: an orchestrator, a very good orchestrator, has the skill of blank, the particular skill of blank. Hmm. 
taking at the very like the most like maximum expression of the job would be like a composer writes something on piano and then they turn it into they they explode then to orchestra um nowadays that an orchestrator could also be doing something as minimal as they receive the uh the like the MIDI files from the composer and the composer is like said you know like they've they've already recorded like flute is going here they're playing this strings are doing this um and what might happen is uh you know they they get those and they get those files and they they load it into a notation program for all the real players to see and they might add some stuff here and there like a flourish or a run yeah, or something yeah yeah uh, like maybe let's say that um you know in like a big action queue you might have these like little flute flourishes those little quick things and yeah and it might just be a little bit too much detail for the composer to figure out but they each they're each on the same page like he might even say like think of these flute flourishes as being from the pod racing scene you know they they might say that and then the orchestrator will actually figure out the exact notes and but they they each know the effect that they're going on it's not that the composer isn't able to do it it's just that you know, it might be like, what key are we in? What can the flute not do? A lot of woodwinds have some weird little That's things interesting, in because between notes. Earlier I, was, I made a joke about producers, but it seems like the closest analog, of which there are no good close analogs, would be if the composer is the director, the orchestrator is pretty much the cinematographer. Yeah. yeah. That's, you know what I'm actually, that's yep. actually not bad. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I've never heard that, but yeah. In terms good. of the director yeah. says it yeah. needs to feel like this. It depends on the composer orchestrator yeah. you're talking about. Like you take like John Williams, he pretty much is all of those and the orchestrator is sort of like it'll be like as if the director actually shot the picture in his case. Right. And, right. You know, he's the, the Soderbergh. He's the Soderbergh and, of composers. And yeah, I, I mean I don't, it's just uh it depends on the person, you know, like yeah. I I've heard of some orchestrators who actually were basically given a major chord and said, "Hey, make this like develop and be really cool." <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, but um, turn, turn these notes into a cue. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but in most cases, is what Alex was talking about. We, we need a two-minute cue. It's a it's C major. Have fun. Yeah, seriously. Right. But in most cases, it's like what Alex was talking about, where uh, it's a it's a good relationship and the composer totally understands what's going on, but doesn't have time to uh, fully figure it out. And and hopefully, if you're hiring an orchestrator, it's for one of two reasons. It's because you don't have time to orchestrate yourself. Or because you're hiring somebody to bring something to the table that right. you because uh, you know somebody that loves orchestrating is gonna it's gonna understand the orchestra like we're talking about yeah you know? and let's, uh, let's someone say who speaks that, orchestra let's yeah. say that the composer is you know he he's coming at it from like he was a, a rocker for a long time and he just kind of like fell backwards into film scoring and he just has a great is he wearing sense. a beanie hat and sitting on my couch <laughs> yes. But no, he he has he has a great is that a beanie hat. I don't I know. Guess. I don't know. No, it doesn't but, have a propeller on it, but it yeah. should. Huh. It, it's the Andy Rumschlag hat. <laughs> Oh my God! It is. It is right. Anyway, um, but uh, it's a stylish yeah, so, hat, you guys. Yeah. So there you go. Radio um, theater. <laughs> my top hat is very impressive. But, <laughs> okay, um, we're not on a camera. Okay. So <laughs> so um, so like this this composer though he might have an amazing sense of what works dramatically. Um, actually, Danny Elfman. There you go. I mean, his early career was that. He 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 knew exactly yeah, what needed Elfman to be there. Um, but he needed someone who actually. Spoke orchestra. Yeah, someone who like really knew it because a lot of thing, uh, something that people don't necessarily consider if they don't understand orchestration is that um, when you bring all these live instruments together, it's kind of a chaotic atmosphere in the sense that a lot of instrument like X instrument is good at something, Y instrument is good at something else, and they aren't really good at existing in the same uh, space. Space. Yeah. For for example. Um, the very opening Star Wars theme, main titles, 
are in the key of B flat because he is murdering his trumpets. And that is the key where they are the most comfortable. That is my guess. And actually, do, do, it's in B flat because the 20th Century Fox fanfare is in B flat. I'm not kidding. Oh, that's why. Okay. Well, kidding. then, then it was a very, very it, well. It might just nice be coincidence. It might have been the trumpet thing that sounds more like something John Williams would have thought of. Yeah. But I've always heard, and it might be apocryphal, that it's written so that there is a continuity between okay. the sounds of the dun ba dun 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 dun, and then you hear bum ba dun. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, like violins. I mean, they don't hate it, but they don't love playing in the key of B flat. But trumpets, that's that's their most comfortable key, and so we'll I've, talk about I've concert learned, tuning later. So yeah, yeah, I have so many questions. Yeah, yeah. and so um, <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, so there's there's those sorts of things that you need. You know, the composer he might not have any idea. He might be writing out of the instrument's range. He might not even know it. Yeah. But the thing is, he <laughs> well, might yeah. he might know exactly what needs Danny to Elfman be there. Danny accidentally wrote the French horn off the map. <laughs> Go get it. And and the thing is, the orchestrator might not be a dramatic writer. They might truly just be. They might be an orchestral technician, so to speak. You know, the librarian of sound. Yeah, and the thing is, that's that's just one example, and it's a very there's a million different ways. Yeah, that, but we, that could have, we could have a three exists. hour talk just in our. You could actually yeah. with the, um, Penka, who, who you're working with yeah, right now. Right. You could have an orca- orchestration talk. I mean, we could have an orchestration talk, but I've yeah. said that like that's what very, she, she's very... done a lot of. But it's a extremely deep topic. Yeah, uh, that's different for it every goes person. On forever. And every I'm looking forward to this one. I'm looking forward to that episode. To be honest, it, whenever we no, whenever we I, talk I'd about to, this, I'd love to check that out too. You yeah, know, it's a uh, it's such a cool topic, and yeah. uh, you know, there's so many limitations there, and, and also possibilities with every instrument right. that you have to know about all of it. So, right. But um, that's one of the reasons why I love writing for orchestra, and why I I would guess one of the reasons why you love writing for orchestra is because there are all these limitations, but there's so much you can do. There's so much left to do with yeah. the orchestra. It's a big ass backyard, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, like, give me an example. Are I, my analogies ever helpful? They're always so good. Like Seriously. a simple little thing you wouldn't think of. Like this is kind of a dumb little thing, but just, I was just writing. I'm a trumpet player, so I was just writing a trumpet piece, and I know a lot about the trumpet because I play trumpet. Right. And I was asked to write a, a, a trumpet quintet for this uh, ITG guild, trumpet guild conference thing coming up. Cool. So I wrote this thing. And even though I play the trumpet, I'm writing it, I'm ri- imagining it, and then I actually played it so they could hear it too, I recorded it, and as I was playing, I was like, oh, that's not that easy. I actually had to change stuff after <laughs> I wrote it, even though I play trumpet. Like, I was yeah. like, wow, that's actually not all that playable. So I do I, that I do that all the know? time on guitar. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's just, you have to know a lot about the instrument. Even if you know a lot about the instrument, there's still going to be things, you have to go to the players and ask them questions sometimes, and... I, don't, right. I do that on pieces I'm right. doing. Like I might set Absolutely. up a meeting with a violin player and be like, hey, how does this look? Are these bowings okay? Can you help me make sure this goes smooth? Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, an orchestrator will be someone who already has those answers for you and can go... Or at the very least... Or at least help you. Or, or, the right or, yeah, direction. They, yeah, they've, yeah. they've hopefully... Hopefully it's not their first rodeo. Yeah. You know, like they've, they've, they've done it a few times and, yeah. and they're like... Uh, they'll just look at it and they'll be like, that won't work. Orchestrators... In, in this, you know, sort of academic sense that we're thinking about them, which, again, is, is just one of many ways that they can exist. But um, orchestrators, I have noticed, do tend to be teachers. I, I remember at Berkeley, there's a lot of guys who have had orchestration careers, um, not necessarily composing. They are, they are composers, absolutely, but they've, they've made their whole thing as an orchestrator, and they also just happen to teach music. Because it is, it is, you know, many times it, it can be kind of like, here, here's, here's this music, and now make it just better. You know, it's it's, just, it's it's kind of like an arranger in a way. Interesting. You know, there's there's definitely yeah. an overlap. Should yeah. we should we do some sort of like a uh, this this happens all the way through the whole process? You think? Yeah, let's do that. I'll, I'll give you my ABCs. Tell me if yeah. I forget something. Basically, you audition for the gig, whatever that is. Get the gig. It's communications director. Then basically write the music with constant feedback. 
um, tweaking things along the way with demos along the way, giving demos and getting them signed off on each piece of music, you know, anything from 10 minutes to two hours of music, right? Uh, after you're finished writing the score, uh, you would then record the score if you haven't, if, if you're going to record live. And that could mean either just fixing up your MIDI stuff, your synthesizer. MIDI, by the way, is we haven't actually musical instrument, MIDI. digital interface. <laughs> it's basically just the, the synth- <laughs> we're talking about synthesizer music, you know, anything yeah. that's not that you're doing through your keyboard that's through the computer. That Realistic is, sounds, but on yeah. a synth. So, you know, after you've written it, you're basically just tweaking that up, making sure everything sounds perfect. And that could be recording live or making your MIDI sound better. Then after that, and you finish it, everybody signs off on it, director, producer. Then you, of course, orchestration is in there if you go live. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other sure. point. Uh, oh, we, actually, we skipped a couple steps if you're recording live. Okay, if you're recording live, yeah, there's, then there's, you go there's to the recording here. stage. <laughs> and so you've got to make sure your music is orchestrated properly. You might do that yourself, or you might hire an orchestrator. Mm-hmm. After it's orchestrated, you got to make sure the musicians get the parts. So you hire a copyist, or Which you do that yourself. Is big. And when yeah. you do that... Um, you go through, you actually have to get all the notes into a program that will spit out the scores and the parts. Those programs are Finale and Sibelius in most cases. Sometimes people use Logic or other programs mm-hmm. because they're capable of it, but they're right. not as good. Yeah. Um, and so then they get the parts to every musician. On the recording stage, you have the engineers recording it. If you're recording at a big stage or if you're at home, it might just be you. Um, and then you've got all the musicians. Then you've got the conductor could be you or it could be somebody you hire as conductor uh good reasons for both by the way we could come back to that (laughs) yeah we're just going to name all the possible jobs that happen along the way both of those are good possibilities though for different reasons uh you record it then you have to have it mixed a lot of times again all these jobs usually when you're first starting out you do every single one of them so Mm -hmm. uh like i've done every one of these jobs i'm sure alex has to then you mix the music i haven't had someone else do those jobs (laughs) it's it's only been very rarely uh, (laughs) hey what's up Hey, dude. <laughs> um, you know, very rarely you you get to hire somebody, but uh, when you have a bigger budget, you do. Then you hire somebody to uh, mix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a perfect, perfect, perfect world, master it. Sometimes yeah. a different person. Yeah. Uh, then you take that finished product and you go to the dub stage where you are with the director and the producers and everybody, and you actually mix it to the sound, to the picture, and make sure it dialogue sounds in one like of those cool rooms with the movie theater and it's just one element oh, of the they many. are so cool oh it's so yeah, you, you got a you've got a screen that's the size in the entire room yep. just like you're at a movie theater but it's you're sitting theater, there it's a movie theater with a console yeah, yeah. and you're sitting there <laughs> telling awesome. them the music should be this loud or this soft amongst all the other people that um, want their stuff to be a certain level too and you're just you know having a dialogue to figure out what level everything should be have a, so most have of the a, time have a punch you with yeah. the sound designer <laughs> most of the times you just have to go away <laughs> right right uh, there's actually bye Kyle a, bye yeah you will you will usually lose by the way <laughs> most times you lose but no if you have a really good uh, mixing team they know the perfect levels yeah. to make everything and, and usually you're so biased at that point about your music we, that it's better should, if somebody else decides we should insert into this whole process hopefully you've been working with the sound team so that you avoid any arguments like you know if there's like if it's if, a race car if, movie, you'd be careful about whatever the pitch of the race car is for the entire movie. Or, well, no, you're going to ride around that. And then, like, the, you, the sound the sound designers generally have, they, they have pretty free range, and then you have to, you know, ride around what they're doing. And, like, you know, if there's a bunch of bullets flying in a, or, and there's explosions, th- those are going to cover up many musical elements. And so you're going to maybe try and ride around that. But, again, that's a, that's totally in a perfect world, and that doesn't always happen. Right on. Um, 
but that so, that is another part of the process but those but those are all yeah in a real quick nu- nutshell like that's yeah, yeah what goes on from getting i probably missed like 25 jobs in the <laughs> middle there you know but but basically but like, that's a good bird's eye view those are all the yeah. if you have like a if you have a small budget it's basically you sitting in your room making sure everything sounds perfect and then the dub stage is usually usually going to uh someone you know, else's other the, room usually the sound designers you know uh studio apartment and mixing it you know what i mean right but it you know the more they allocate for each part of the budget you know the more you get to sort of elaborate on every part of that and in a perfect scenario even on a small budget film if you uh do everything yourself and you get to bring it to a cool sound stage and mix it with the film it's it's still really cool to Mm -hmm. to collaborate i think you get to collaborate the the bigger the budget you get to collaborate more basically yes which which is nice and delegate more it gets kind of you know, boring sitting by yourself. And am, I only, yeah. am I only one in the mood to go to a recording session right now? Like, does anyone else got like <laughs> no. the sort of like, yeah, let's do that. Let's go right now. <laughs> they're, they're pretty great. Damn, man. They that's, definitely are. Well, it's just a hell of a process. And this was like the little Cliff Notes version of it. But I kind of yeah. want to sit down and record the next five episodes of this podcast right now. Oh, man, I'm so psyched for this show. <laughs> anyway. So cool. Let's let's call that a wrap on this episode, and we'll you know the bird's eye view of what this whole film scoring process is and what it looks like. And um, in episodes to come, we're going to talk about all the little specifics and conversations about composers and favorite scores and the Oscars for the scores this year and every damn thing we want to talk about. It's I'm I'm so psyched to finally have a music podcast, and I'm so glad you guys are on it. Thanks, yeah. thanks for having us. Yeah, man. Cool. So in that case, let's wrap this thing up. You can always find episodes from the Friends in Your Head Network at friendsinyourhead.com. Go to the forum. It's a wonderful community of people, and it's growing every single week. <laughs> there will be a conversation thread for this episode, as well as new episodes that come out in the future. And you can talk music or talk podcasts or, I don't know, talk whatever you want on the forum, man. We don't have any rules. It's, it's the frontier out there. Anyway, uh, buy our shirts. We don't get much money, but they're good shirts. There's a big PayPal button on the website. We're not asking. We're just saying. Holden Hill designed and maintained the website. And until next time we talk to you, my name has been T. Christie. Alex Smith. Kyle Newmaster. And this has been Uncomposed. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Good night. Good night. <laughs>